blood of the summoned. Written, produced, and performed by Philip D. Adams. Chapter 26. Excommunicated. I've been... what? Though he did not raise his voice, the shock and anger in King Harold's tone was palpable as he listened to Robert Maxwell, Archbishop of Southmarch, read aloud the parchment bearing the papal seal. Excommunicated, Your Majesty. He, along with Aelred, the Abbot of Rivo, stood before Harold in the King's chamber. What on earth does that mean? It's a papal censure, Majesty. It means... I know what censure means. I want to know why. Maxwell took a breath before performing this most uncomfortable duty. Rome has charged the Earl Godwinson with usurpation of the English throne, conspiracy, oath-breaking. He paused as Harold rolled his eyes and nodded impatiently, then continued ever so guardedly. The despoiling of God's churches, the murder of clerics... What churches? What murders? I've done no such thing. Maxwell glanced over at Aylred for help. The charges refer, I believe, to the burning of St. Andrews, Your Majesty. Harold jumped to his feet. St. Andrews? What the bloody hell are they talking about? That wasn't me, that was Tostig. I had nothing to do with that. It was the Earl Godwinson, Your Majesty. But they've got the wrong Godwinson. Don't they know that? It would seem, Your Majesty, that His Holiness does not make the distinction, nor does he particularly care. I'm afraid the name of Godwinson carries no better repute in Rome than did the name of Godwin. What has my father to do with this? Harold began to pace anxiously. It's no secret, Majesty, that Earl Godwin was the subject of more than a few plaintive correspondences from King Edward to Rome over the years. Harold stopped pacing and stood smiling an exasperated smile. Well, that's just brilliant. So what then? Am I to be banished from the church? Oh, no. Excommunication is not banishment, Your Majesty. It's simply a call to repentance. That's correct, Your Majesty. Only if one refuses to repent. Ah, now we come to it. And I suppose repentance would require me to abdicate the throne, yes? Among other things, Your Majesty, the missive calls for Your Majesty to vacate the English throne and pledge fealty to, forgive me, Majesty, the true king, William. Why am I not surprised? This is the bastard's handiwork and no mistake. Clearly, Your Majesty. Well, if he thinks I'm just going to hand my crown over to him on account of a letter from the Pope, then he's more insane than I thought. England will be ruled by the English, damn it, not the bloody French. Excommunication, my ass. Indeed, Your Majesty. True king, my ass. If I may, Your Majesty, I rather doubt that that was ever William's expectation. I tend to think this was aimed not so much at Your Majesty as at his own countrymen. Harold pondered a moment, then nodded. Interesting. Tell me more. Yes, Your Majesty. We've known for some time that Duke William has been planning to seize the throne practically since the day of your coronation. Once he saw that you would not make good on your pledge to him— I made no such pledge. Of course not, Majesty. It's a preposterous claim without question. But as far as Duke William is concerned, you did. As far as William is concerned, he is the rightful heir to King Edward's throne. Which makes me a usurper and an oath-breaker, I understand. 
Unfortunately for him, however, the Norman nobility have not been all that keen to mount an invasion and go to war with you for the sake of William's claim. Uh, quite rightly, Majesty. Go on. Yes, Majesty. What we have now, however, is no longer simply a dispute over who pledged what to whom. Your Majesty's excommunication has turned William's ambition into a holy crusade of sorts. Now the entire ruling class in Normandy are fairly falling over themselves to be the first ones here. But it's all a pack of lies. This is no crusade, for God's sake. It's a sham, and a ham-fisted one at that. Nothing more than pure farce, Majesty. Indeed, and it has worked perfectly. Preparations for an invasion are now proceeding at breakneck pace, I'm led to understand. I expect Duke William's forces will be ready to sail by midsummer. Bloody hell! Harold stood shaking his head with his back to the others for a long moment. At length he turned and faced them. Fine, then. It makes no difference. Let the bastard come. I'll be waiting for him with more strength than he can muster, crusade or no. If William wants my throne, let him try and take it, and let God decide whether a Saxon or a Norman rules England. Rodiger woke up in darkness, gagging. The stench had invaded his senses as he slept and rattled him awake, though in the stifling black it was difficult to distinguish nightmare from reality. The smell was so appalling and the pressure on his throat so stiff that a fit of vomiting overtook him, though as the convulsions ensued, Rodiger discovered he could barely move. He was bent at the waist over something wooden, his head and wrists held fast in what must have been some sort of pillory. He felt iron squeezing his ankles and the cold, slippery muck giving way beneath his bare knees, making it difficult for him to support his weight on the stone floor. He also realized he was naked. Where he was and how he'd gotten there, he hadn't a clue. The last thing Rodiger remembered was seeing a flaming star in the night sky. His confusion was soon put to rest. Hello, Rodiger. Though enveloped in black, the voice came from somewhere very close, mere inches away. Who's that? Why, the one you came to see, of course. Now, I realize you can't actually see me, but no matter. I can see you quite clearly, my dear Rodiger. What did you call me? Oh, forgive me. I forget my manners. It's Lord Rodiger, is it not? I'm afraid I've forgotten that the new Earl had restored your title. It makes no difference, of course, since your lording days are behind you now. Still, protocol must be observed. I'm right, I'm wrong. That's not my... Rodiger's words were choked off by a fit of coughing and dry heaves. Continue with your pretense that you are not Lord Rodiger Whiston of Hamsterley, if you like. It makes no difference to me. We both know who you are, and we both know who I am. Your deceit will not save you, but do as you wish. You are my guest, after all, and let it never be said that I am not a gracious host. Are you comfortable? What do you think? I think you might as well enjoy what comforts you still have, my friend, since things are about to get rather less comfortable from here on. Indeed, this will soon seem quite luxurious, I assure you. What do you want? Nothing at all, my friend. Not a thing. Indeed, thanks to you, I now have my heart's desire. Rodiger heard the sound of Sacros patting the leather cover of the codex. 
You cannot know how long I've searched for this, my dear Rodica. Though clearly you did know that it was mine, and you understood that it was dear to me. I expect, therefore, that by now you not only know who I am, but indeed what I am, which means you also know what I am capable of. Under the circumstances, I should think you'd have saved yourself a world of suffering and simply brought the book to me. I would have rewarded you handsomely. Instead, you contrived to sell my own property back to me in exchange, I presume, for my own gold. Extortion, I call it. Rodiger could only cough in response. Even so, it occurs to me that the gold was not really what you were after at all, was it? After all, everyone knows Rodiger Wiston to be an honourable man who would never stoop to such crass chicanery for mere coin. I suspect this was all a ruse. Eh, you came here to kill Sacros. I'm right, I'm wrong. <laughs> I... <laughs> that I did. Well, you have failed, my friend. As you have discovered, I am not so easy to kill. And soon, perhaps, I will be, how do you say, immortal. Now that my prize has been returned to me, I shall surely find the secret I have so longed to discover. Rodiger heard Sacros get up and begin walking about in the dark. You see, until Kadesh, I never truly realized how mortal I was. But after hearing all the stories of the others, and then witnessing the creature send one of them back into the darkness, and all his progeny with him, well, I decided I need to protect myself. For many years, I traveled the world, gathering wealth and gaining knowledge, looking for clues to achieving immortality. But it seemed that such a thing was beyond reach, even for me. Then, whilst visiting a curious little place called Novgorod, I chanced to witness the sacrifice to Mokush, whom the locals worshipped as the goddess who both gives and takes life. It was nothing remarkable, but it made me realize that I already had the answer I was looking for. It was written right here in my book. The others at Kadesh all had remarkably similar stories of how they'd been called out of black into this world. They were all summoned by means of ritual sacrifices to local gods. It didn't matter that no such gods actually existed. All that mattered was the manner in which the rite was conducted and most importantly, the name that was invoked. As it happens, I have no memory of my own summoning since Cato Sacros, the mortal Cato Sacros, was quite inebriated at the time he was sacrificed. But the others had vivid recollections, all diligently written down, word for word, right here. I realized that as long as such a ritual could be repeated precisely in the name of Olex, my true name, invoked properly, that even if I am slain and sent back into the darkness, I can always be brought back. All that would be needed is one loyal devotee to follow exactly the method described in this book. Alas, by the time I had returned to my home, my book had been stolen and the secret with it. I have been searching for it ever since. Now, thanks to you, my dear Lord Rodica, I have it at last. So what do you want with me? You? Sacros lowered his voice to a fierce whisper and spoke directly into Rodica's ear. You're going to suffer, my friend. Since you sought to send me back to eternal torment, you shall soon learn what torment is. I will keep you alive, yes, but only just. For how long, you will not know. 
days, weeks, years. Here in the dark, you will lose all sense of time. You will forget everything that ever had meaning to you. You will abandon all that is human in you, and you will know only pain, unceasing, unbearable pain. Sounds lovely. When do we begin? <laughs> I admire your pluck, Lord Rodica. Tell you what. Rodiger heard Sacros moving away. I'm going to find somewhere safe to lock up my precious book. Then go have a nice warm drink, and I'll see you back here in, let us say, one hour's time. Sacros didn't wait for a response from Rodiger. Splendid! Rodiger saw a glimmer of orange light thrown onto the wall in front of him. Then he heard not one, but two voices before the door was shut. Thank you, Simeon. That won't be necessary. As you wish, my lord. He listened for the sound of a lock, but heard none. He heard more talking, but now it was too muffled to understand, though it had the cadence of an instruction. Rodiger quickly took stock of his situation, tonguing the cut on the inside of his cheek where he'd bitten it chewing on some hard bread just before he was abducted. Rodiger noticed that it was still swollen and still had the tang of blood, which meant that he had only been unconscious for a couple hours at most. Roddy, Barlow and Dolan, therefore, would not likely have arrived at the castle, even if they'd set out at daybreak as planned. Rodiger could only trust that they were on their way and would show up soon. The room he was in, Rodiger surmised, was small, judging from the way the sound reverberated. It was cool but not cold, and was made entirely of stone, so it was likely an underground dungeon, probably within the castle. The presence of the pillory, along with the vile smells, gave Rodiger reason to believe this was not used as a jail, but rather as a torture chamber. Certainly he would not be the first to have suffered in here. The fact that he could hear voices beyond the door indicated that the door itself was wooden and not overly thick. Also, the door either had no lock, or Sacro simply chose not to use it. He also knew there was someone beyond the door, someone who had anticipated a particular need of Sacros's and had been rebuffed. Obviously, whoever was out there was no stranger to the dungeon and was likely quite familiar with its purpose. Most significantly, Rodiger now knew his name. Sacros had made a careless mistake in allowing Rodiger to hear that, and though it would likely come to nothing, for now, it was still something he could use. Rodiger called once he was sure Sacros was out of earshot. Simeon! Simeon, I need to tell you something. Are you there? Simeon, <coughs> answer me, Simeon. Rodiger had no idea if the man Sacros called Simeon was still outside the door or if he was barking out his name in vain. Still, he persisted. <coughs> Simeon! Sacros felt invincible already. At long last, he held the secret he'd been searching for all these hundreds of years. He could scarcely believe it. He wanted to lock himself in his room and start reading at once, but there was much to do. He had an enemy secured in the dungeon, and he would soon be taking centuries of frustration and disappointment out on the poor wretch's hide. Sacros had not forgotten that Lord Rodiger was a thane, and had at least sixty housecarls at his command. Did they know where he was? Would they come for him? Sacros naturally assumed that they would, and though it would take much more than sixty to breach this castle, he was glad he'd called for reinforcements as soon as his hostage had arrived. Where is Horncliffe? Sacros demanded as he strode past Tim and Pavel, standing guard in the main hall. On his way, my lord. Bringing twenty men, sir. Twenty? Why only twenty? Dunno, my lord. I suspect he's leaving some behind to protect his holdings. His holdings? What does he have worth protecting? 
Sacrus turned and continued toward the stairs leading up to his lair. Let me know when he arrives. Dolan rode up to the front of the two barrels inn where Barlow and Roddy were mounted and waiting, a fourth mount in tow. I didn't find him. He's not in town anywhere. Something's happened. He wouldn't have left on foot without a word. And the book is missing. This definitely isn't right. What do we do? We stick to the plan. My guess is father's been taken against his will, and not by mere bandits. He'd never let that happen. This has to be that blight of Sacros's work, which means he's likely been found out and taken to the castle. We'll go and sneak our way into the castle, just as we'd planned, and get father out. Agreed? Agreed. Agreed! Taking the road from Berwick south to Sacros's castle would have meant an hour's ride at most, but it also might have led them into a trap, so they took a slightly more circuitous route. Leaving the town, they rode east a few miles until they reached the sea. From there, they followed the coastline south along the broad sandy beach that arced slightly eastward. Soon, the sand gave way to rocky shoals and the going got a bit slower. With the grey sea on their left and the brown cliffs rising on their right, they kept a brisk pace and spoke very little, all three anxious about the fate of their commander. Finding the castle was not difficult since it overlooked the cliffs to which they cleaved as closely as they could to avoid being seen. As castles went, it was smaller than most, with a single square tower that overlooked the water and a keep that was nearly as tall, surrounded by a wall only half that height, all built of the same light brown stone. From the shore below, it seemed to grow straight out of the cliff itself. Finding their way up the cliff proved rather more tricky than Rodica had led them to believe. Before making their assault, they stood on the shore and did their best to map a path up to the top, a good 40 feet above. The horses, they realised, would never make the climb, so they left them at the bottom and began their ascent about midday. Laden as they were with weapons and armour, the three men did not attempt to hasten their climb, but rather maintained a slow, steady pace, rock by rock, foothold by foothold, with Roddy in the lead, Dolan behind him and Barlow in the rear. Finally, they reached a ledge some ten feet below the crest where Roddy stopped and sat down. Why are you stopping? We're almost there. Roddy was winded, but no less than the others. Oh no, let's rest here a while. We're no good to father if we're exhausted. Aye, we'll need our strength and then some. Simeon, <coughs> hearken to me. You must listen, Simeon. With nearly every breath, Rodiger had been calling, hoping against hope there was someone out there, but no answer came. Frustrated, Rodiger started to give up, but before he did, he took in a deep breath and gave one more desperate shout. Simeon! Shh! What do you want? Simeon? Simeon! I, I need to talk to you, Simeon. Please! I'm not coming in there. Rodiger gathered from the inflection that this person was neither a guard nor a vampire, but rather a servant, and frightened out of his wits. If that's what you want, you can scream all you like. I'm not going past this door. Years of leading men into battle had taught Rodiger that the only way to get a man to do what he was too afraid to do was to make him more afraid not to. If you don't, then I can't help you, Simeon. I want to help you. You? Help, help me? Are you mad? You'll be in here sooner or later, Simeon. You know it as well as I. No, never. Yes, Simeon, one day, when he tires of you. Shut your mouth. You'll be in here where I am. Shut up. 
You'll make you suffer, Simeon, just like all the others. I say shut up! Shut up! <laughs> he won't. Not me. I serve him. I serve him well. Always. I can end it, Simeon. I can protect you, but you must help me. <laughs> protect me? How? Are you God? Can you unmake all this? I can kill him, Simeon. You can't. Yes, Simeon, I can. Nobody can kill the master. He cannot be killed. He's... he's... I know what he is, Simeon. I've seen his kind before. He can be slain, believe me. I've slain one myself. Truly, I have. Liar! It's not a lie. I read the book, Simeon. I know how. The... the book? You... You know about the book, don't you, Simeon? That's not good, Simeon. Not at all. The master will surely kill you now. But... I... I brought it to him. He thanked me. But you know his secret now. You know more than you ought to. No, no, he can't kill him. He'd kill you first. Surely he would. Not if you help me, Simeon. I can't. There's too many. It's not just him. There are others. Many others. I have others too, Simeon. I have my men coming for me. Men at my command. I'm a thane, Simeon. I'm Lord Rodiger of Hamsterley. My men will soon be here. Three armed men first, and sixty more after them. No response to that came from beyond the door. Perhaps his ploy was working, or maybe it was all too overwhelming for Simeon to fathom. Rodiger let the silence loom for a moment to give Simeon a chance to consider everything. If you help me, Simeon, if you let me out of here, I will kill him for you, I promise. No, no, it's a trick. You're lying. You can't kill him. No one can. You're a liar, and you're trying to trick me. Liar! No, Simeon, listen to me. It was too late. Rodica could hear Simeon's squeals and footfalls diminish as he scampered away. No, 